I love you. I love you so much. Praise the Lord. House of faith. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And uh, the good thing about uh, where we live and how we live now is that we can make any place a house of the Lord when we show up. Because we are the house of the Lord. Amen. That, that, that's such an awesome thing. And uh, I, of course, give honor to our Pastor Don for his, uh, his tenacity and his example of um, dedication to this ministry. You know, his brother started it over 60 years ago. And even when his brother passed the baton on, he continued and ran the race to today to this moment as I'm speaking here. And what an awesome example that is of longevity and stick to in a world where we see people trying to jump on the next good thing that's coming along. Amen. Um, to the angel of this house, I'll pass to Gary here. And uh, his dedication and commitment to the community and to the work that God has called him to, right? Reaching out beyond the walls into rocking far rock away. Amen. Hallelujah. To my dear Pastor Paul, my Pastor Will, my Pastor Charles, mentors, covering, guides, and a whole lot more. That if I started that, that would be the sermon for today. I'm just really grateful for each and every man sitting in this room right now in your respective places in my life because you were meant to be in my life. And I was meant to be in yours for a time such as this. God ordered it. It's not by mistake. We have a divine appointment with one another. Amen? Amen. And as I was... Uh, Preparing my, uh, my heart to hear what the Lord would have me say to you, almost three weeks now, he put a word in my spirit that's like a fire. Like it's, it's like ready to explode in me. Um, and, You know, the scripture tells us in John 3.16, one of the uh, most uh, well-known verses, even to non-Christians, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I've, I've known that s scripture since Sunday school. And I've preached it and I've taught it and it's been preached to me and taught to me. Something stood out in that for me that changed everything about my perspective of my relationship with God here on earth and in eternity. The, the words that stuck out to me was that God loved this world so much that he gave his son so that whosoever believeth, the words that stuck out were, would not perish but have everlasting life. Would not perish, but have everlasting life. And as I started to think about this world and I started to think about this life, hasn't 2020 been devastating to say the least? <laughs> I mean, my opening sermon for, for this year to my church was about 2020 vision. <laughs> we, we can see clearly now. <laughs> and it wasn't about no devastation. It was about elevation. Amen. Uh, that, that was, uh, that was the, where we, I launched off the year. But lo and behold, 
in 2020 this year, a couple of things happened along the way to now, yes? Iran launched some missile attacks at a U.S. base in Iraq, causing brain injury to over 109 soldiers and bringing us to the brink of war with them. We all remember the saddening day when Kobe Bryant and his daughter and seven others died in a plane crash. Major headlines. Even as we speak right now, there are wildfires that have been burning for months in California, causing devastation and economic upset throughout that part of the country. Coming a little bit closer to us, in Tennessee, there were tornadoes that ravaged, leaving death and destruction in their wake throughout that state. Nashville, a disaster. In May, in this country, there were 59 mass shootings. Now, a mass shooting means that four or more people got shot. So that 59 times four or more is the amount of lives that were lost to this mass shooting. We are right now, as we sit here, as a country and other parts of the world in the worst economic recession since 2008. There are over 21.5 million people out of work while we sit here right now. <laughs> Something else that happened that we're seeing, there's a whole lot of tension between races and the police. George Floyd's death led to an upheaval close to anarchy in some places where they're almost now getting ready to call in the troops to try to get things back in order. And of course, I'm not going to miss the big one, the corona. The corona, coronavirus, COVID-19 changed the world as we knew it, and it is not going to return to business as usual ever again. New normals all over the place. It devastates the world, but here in America, we were hit the hardest with 1.9 million cases and hundreds and thousands of deaths as we speak. This is the world that we're in right now, as far as just some of the news that is presented to us as a condition. I wish that this sermon was going to tell you that, thank God for Jesus, because it's about to get better. But the truth of the matter is that according to my Bible, still thank God for Jesus, but it's about to get worse. Right. It's not going to get greater later going to get greater much later than we think. I think that this is just the beginning of some birth pangs that the church is uh, aware of because God wanted us to know these things so that we would not be caught by surprise. But with that in mind, I want to take you to my text today, which is in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 to 28, and launch off of this devastation that we're in in the world. With all of these things going on, there is something major happening. There is a major thing. Um, 
foundational cause to us even being upset, the major cause to why Corona, to the missiles attacks, George Floyd's uh, situation, and all of that come to this place in us that God, I believe, wants the church to know today. And Hebrews 20, Hebrews 9, verses 27 to 28. 28 say these words and it is appointed for men to die once but after this the judgment so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many and to those who eagerly wait for him he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation that is my text my title is wake up church, it's eagerness time. Wake up church. Well, the first title to this message was, wake up Winston, <laughs> it's eagerness time. And after hearing that call, I'd now want to share the wealth of, <laughs> of what God was telling me about when he gave this to me. Notice the structure of, of of, of this sentence in the verse. It says, inasmuch as it is appointed unto men, so Christ also. The comparison is made between something we do, die, and later come into judgment, and something Christ does, die, and later come to save from judgment. There's a parallel between our experience and Christ. For every decisive experience that you have like dying and facing God in judgment the son of God has a corresponding experience only Christ's experience are not merely alongside ours like or or just like like them his experiences have an impact on ours his death and our death are not parallels he utterly transforms our situation. Our arrival at the judgment and his arrival at the judgment, they are not para pa parallel, even though they are comparative. He rescues us. In other words, the parallel between our life and Christ's life is designed to show us how utterly dependent we are at every point of our life and how great he is to be there for us. Jesus is the strong and saving one, and we are the weak and desperate ones in need of a savior. And so it's not accurate to say merely that we run the race and he runs the race, and just as we will cross the river, he will cross the river, and just as he will face the dragon and we will face the dragon. No, it's not like that, it's like this. We have to cross the river, yes. And he did too, but he died crossing the river to build a bridge for us to cross the river. And we have to face the dragon at the end, yes, and he will face it too. Only he will save us from the fiery breath of the dragon and bring us into the joy of eternal life. It's not parallel because we're not doing the same for him. His experience is doing something far greater for us. So the point of these two verses, I believe, is to get us to think of the big issues of our lives, like death and judgment. And then to help us to see that Christ has gone before us in these experiences specifically for a reason. 
And his experience of them is so powerful that when we have to walk through death and judgment, those experiences will be radically different because of Christ. We want to magnify Christ. And by that magnificence unleash from this room today, those within the sound of my voice, confident and courageous men and women of God in this world to continue on to do the work we're assigned to for his glory. And the thing about it is, is that Christ's experience does prepare the way for us, doesn't it? Let's look at the, these things one at a time as the, they come out of the scripture. Verse 27 with me. And, and as so much as is appointed for men to die once. Now, now, this is a rich sentence. God has been very merciful to say this to us. Listen to two things God means for us to hear in this portion of scripture, in this word. One is that all of us have an appointment with death. It is appointed for men to die. Who made this appointment? with death. I didn't. There's some appointments that I do make that I don't like, like an appointment with the dentist or an appointment with my mechanic because it because of an emergency and it's going to cause me the pain or money. But I would never if it was up to me make an appointment with death, and keep it. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. Mm-mm. I wouldn't do it. But who made it for me? The answer is God has made it for us. When Adam and Eve sinned, human death entered into the world, and God appointed the curse of death to every one of their ancestors, you and I. Romans 5.12 gives us the background. It says, through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's what the scripture says, yes? God had warned of this, that it would happen, and he brought it to pass. So death is not an appointment that comes to us just by, you know, natural processes, accidents and stuff. That would be far from the biblical view and perspective as if the world just runs on its own without God's daily oversight, sovereignty, and guidance. No, our appointment with death comes not merely by natural processes, but at a divinely appointed moment. God plans our birthday and our death day. Born on date, die on date. Psalm 139.16 puts it like this. And in thy book, O God, they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. A certain number of days are ordained for me by God. God sets this appointment, not Satan, not my enemy, not cancer, not corona. God. But not only that, God sees to it that we keep that appointment. He plans it and brings it to pass. You recall how Job said when his children were killed by all that was going on in their home at that time. He says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. So the Lord makes the appointment. The Lord sees to it that, that death and us keep the appointment. And this is no like absurd, meaningless fatalism that I'm preaching here. It's, it's, this is not like a, a, uh, 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 a, a refried funeral sermon that I'm trying. <laughs> all, all, all of this is governed by an all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving, sovereign God, no matter what it might look like from our perspective. 
God makes an appointment with death in his sovereign planning of all things. You recall how Jesus spoke to um, the apostle Peter in John 21 and 9 that the day was coming, the appointment was made, when he would be crucified like Jesus was himself. A few minutes later, Jesus spoke to Peter about the apostle John and said this, if I want him to remain alive until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, Christ himself decides when and how his servants will die. If I want him to remain, he will remain. And if I want to take him, I will take him. You are all in my hands. Somebody say he's got the whole world in his hands. There's a uh, missionary to Persia that I'm going to steal a quote from. His name is Henry Martin, and he was right to say these words. If Christ has work for me to do, I cannot die. Amen? Yeah, I feel that way about this whole episode and, and corona and all that. I never had the fear of death in me because if I'm going to die from whatever it is, that's going to be what it is. But if God doesn't want me to die, corona can't kill me. It can't. Um, if it's not his time for me, nothing can, kill, nothing can kill me until God says it's time for me to go. Amen? Yeah. And, and, and so since it is appointed for, to us all to die, we may rest assured it's not man or Satan or fate or disease that makes that final ultimate choice. It is Christ himself, our creator and king. But second, second in the verse, it says it is appointed for men to die once. There's a, a key word here beside the word appointed, and namely, I want to point you to the word once. It's a very important in what I'm building to here. This means that anybody here who's got the misconception that there's such a thing as reincarnation, you are not the Terminator, you will not be back. <laughs> the, po the point of the word once here is to stress the finality of death. We die once and that is the end of our experience of earthly dying. Now, all of this should have some profound effect on us. Samuel Johnson said, depend upon it, sir. When a man knows he is about to be hanged in a fourth night, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. Moses put it like this in Psalm 90 and 12. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Surely the writer of Hebrews wants us to hear the word of God in verse 27 and be awakened from the usual numbness and sleepiness of our lives, church. Most people think very little about what matters most and think very much about what matters little. The Bible is God's gift to us to keep us from those utterly foolishness concepts about this life we live in to make us wise. Wise people are people who have proportion in their lives. What matters most, they are most concerned with. And what matters least, they are least concerned with. Death is huge. And death is sure. And so God is calling us here in this text to think about it and get serious about it in a way that fits with how momentous death is. Um, the, 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 um, how, do I, how do I put this out there? Okay, so there's, uh, there, there, there's some segments of, of us in church that um, we, 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 we have some priorities, and, and our priorities are just a little bit kind of messed up. Even, even non-Christians, they got their priorities kind of messed up. Um, the, we, we, we buy um, 
um, health insurance, yeah, car insurance, fire insurance, flood insurance, insurance. Now, you got health insurance, but you might never cash that in because you might remain healthy and not need it. You can buy fire insurance, have no fire. You can buy car insurance and have no accident. You can buy flood insurance and no waters shall overflow your dwelling. But I have found in a segment, at least where I have been acquainted to with the church, that when people die, all of a sudden we got to have a, a chicken fundraising dinner in order to bury them because they did not have any life insurance. When death is for sure. You might not have a fire, but death is coming. You might, your car might not have an accident, but death is coming. If there's any insurance, and I'm saying this to the church, please don't leave your poor members behind to have that chicken fundraiser for you just so we can get you a nice coffin and a plot. Get some life insurance. And <laughs> it's, just, it's just happened too common, maybe in my part of the world or whatever, but I'm just saying that out of all the things that we can be sure of, or is it that we just don't want to, you know, even when it comes to talking about it, we're like, oh, no, uh, let me be I. You can, you can just keep that insurance. We, we don't want to talk. We don't want to talk about making a will because we think we might make death come sooner. It's a problem with that. You see, listen to this. The next phrase is what gives death its greatest seriousness. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed for men to die once, and after this, the judgment. Dun, da, dun. Dun, 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 dun. The judgment. Death is not the end of our existence. That is what is so awesome about it. We are not mere material beings that simply go out of consciousness and decompose in the ground. The Bible is God's gift to us to keep us from that foolishness of thinking and to make us wise. And it is the most terrifying prospect to me in the universe that we might after death, meet a holy and angry and omnipotent God holding us accountable for whether we trusted him and worshiped him and followed him in his ways in this life, what a fearful prospect. Hebrews does not leave us in the dark about what this means. In Hebrews 10, 27, it says, a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries awaits us. And these verses, three verses later, it, it, it says, we know him who said, vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people, he says in verse 30 of that chapter. So when our text says that we have an appointment with death and after death with judgment, it means that it could be terrifying and furious fire and a great act of divine vengeance, even on those who claim to be a part of God's people, but are only external Christians. These are some sobering realities that God was revealing to me. May God use them to wake us up and make us alive to what really matters in this world to God. 
in, in verse 28, the writer makes the comparison between our experience with Christ, right? He says it is appointed to us to die once, and after that comes our judgment, yes? But what about Christ? It says, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Christ joins us in death and in judgment. Notice the great encouragement here, how Christ joins us in death and judgment. There is a parallel. He dies and he comes to the judgment, but the difference is infinite. Let me show you how. Verse 28 says that the death is an offering once to bear the sins of many. And we will see who the many are at the end of this verse. But the main thing to see is that the death of Jesus bears sins. Say that to your neighbor. The death of Jesus bears sins. Not just sins. The death of Jesus bears my sins. Yeah, it changes everything, everything, everything. You see, the, this is the heart of our Christian walk and the heart of the gospel and the heart of God's great work of redemption in the world. When Christ died, he bore sins. He took sins not his own. He suffered for sins that others had done so that they could be free from sin's death grip. Yeah, look back at verse 26. The last line says, he has been manifested at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So verse 28 says that he bore the sins of many. And verse 26 says that the effect of this is that he put away sin. This is the answer to the greatest problem in our life. Whether you feel it's a main problem or not, there's an answer to how we can get right with God in spite of being sinners. The answer is that Christ's death is an offering to bear the sins of many. I know you thought it was going to be all bad news. It ain't all bad news. I got some good news in here, too. There's just a requirement for you to get it serious about the seriousness of that. And it's good to praise God, and it's good to glorify God. But we have to take into consideration that God does not only have here in mind when he saved you, or else we wouldn't need eternity. We wouldn't need eternity if it was only about here. It's about way, like Pastor Paul would say, it's about so much more. So much more. Let, let me explain. He lifted my sins. And you can put yourself in here. I'm going to just make this personal for me. He lifted my sins and carried them to the cross and died there to death that I deserve to die. Now, what that does mean for my dying? That it is appointed to me to die once. It means that my death though, is no longer punitive. My death is no longer punishment for sin. My sin has been borne away. My sin is put away by the death of Christ. Christ took the punishment for me. So then um, in my thinking, I said, hmm, so why should I die then? Because death is this punishment, and since this punishment is gone, then I think it's because God wills that death remain in the world, even among his own children, as an abiding testimony to the extreme horror of sin. In our dying, we still manifest the external effects of sin in the world, but the inner relationship of sin to God has been radically changed. 
The death of God's children is not wrath against them. Paul cries out in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, and 57. He says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the sting is removed because the death of Christ satisfied the law's demand and set us free from condemnation. Romans 8 and 1, one of my favorite verses says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? None, none, no. No means no. That is what the next phrase means. Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. There, there are two great truths here. One is the first coming of Christ and his offering to bear the sins of many was completely sufficient. Jesus paid it all. When he said it is finished, finished it is. Nothing left to do here. He does not have to do any more to pay the price for sin to remove the guilt of sin. That is why it says without reference to sin. He came the first time to deal with sin. He put away sin. It is finished. Amen. Amen. This is the wonder of the gospel. Your guilt is already removed. That much of the end time salvation is past and done, completed. Once for all, at the end of the ages, the great salvation has happened. It cannot be improved upon. Nothing we could do in the flesh can make us more saved than the salvation that Jesus Christ gave us through his finished work on the cross on our behalf. Amen? Yeah, 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 yeah. There, 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 there's, there, there's more. There's a second truth. We had to face the issue of death, so Christ faced death and bore the guilt and punishment for us. Now we must face judgment, so Christ comes a second time for us. This time not to deal with sin, but to save us from judgment. That's what it means in verse 28 when it says he shall appear a second time for salvation. This is not an addition to the salvation that he paid for, purchased on the cross. It is an application of the salvation that he purchased for us on the cross. And this is what Christ brought in his death. In other words, Christ died to bear our sin and to free us from condemnation. And the application of this uh, asbestos shield <laughs> gives us in the fury of fire, which will consume the adversaries. That is what example, exactly what Paul said in Romans 5, 9 to 10. Are you with me so far? In Romans 5, 9 to 10, it says, trust Christ in a way that makes you eager for his, him to come. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Mm -hmm. It's the past death of God's son for us that guarantees his future salvation of us from the wrath of God at the judgment. Now, finally, the utterly crucial personal question. Who are the many in verse 28? It says, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, and for whom is he bringing salvation at his second coming? The answer is given at the end of verse 28. He is coming for those who eagerly await him. 
You see, church, we must exhibit faith in this area. We must exhibit the kind of faith that is eager for him to come. If you ask right now, and you should, what must I do so that I know my sins are taken away by the blood of Christ and that when he comes, he will shield me from the wrath of God and bring me into eternal life? If you ask that right now, the answer is this. Trust Christ in such a way that makes you eager for him to return. He is coming to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. So how do you get ready? How do you experience the forgiveness of God in Christ and prepare to meet him? By trusting him in a way that makes you eager for him to return. The eager expectation for Christ is simply a sign that we love him and we believe in him authentically. See, there's a phony faith (laughs) that only wants to escape from hell but has no desire for Christ. That won't cut it. It does not produce an eager expectation of Christ to come. Let me, let me show you how it works. See, that, that phony faith would rather that Christ not come as long as possible so that we can have as much of this world as possible. Please, Jesus, just delay until <laughs> I get my promotion or my elevation. Please, Jesus, just, just delay until my goals are accomplished, my children are grown up, my houses is paid off, my savings accrued. Please, Jesus, just hold off until I, I get mine, until, until I'm comfortable, until I've accomplished all that I want. Please, Jesus, just hold on. There, there was, a, there was a, 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 I don't remember whether it was in a movie, but it was a Jamaican man that said these words. He says, every man want heaven, but no man want dead. Uh-oh, let me check. Every man wants heaven, but no man (laughs) wants death. (laughs) Every man wants heaven, but no man wants dead. We are so attached to here. You see, that's what made Corona so devastating. Death is coming. That's what made all of these other things in life that threaten life so devastating to the world. But it shouldn't be devastating to us because death is our Uber. Death is our ride. Death death doesn't mean the same thing to us as it means to those that are without Christ. And one of the major ways that we show them the great glory of God in us is that when we face death, we don't face death with fear or timidity. When we face death, we face death with a great eagerness and expectation because we're waiting for his to come. There's nothing on this earth that is going to be more satisfying than the day I stand in front of Jesus and say, there you are, because not only will I see him, I will be like him. No, it's the truth. You see what I'm saying? We, we're holding on to the wrong piece of this, this, this transaction thing here. We're looking for gifts and we're looking for, 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 for blessings like here. The greatest blessing is in front of us, and death is the Uber that takes us for that ride. And as we see people coming together and 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 social distancing and 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 and, and masking up and washing of the hands to avoid death, that's a great opportunity for us at the church to speak to this thing and say, I know a way that you don't have to be, yeah, you gotta be precautious because you don't want to just, you know, just I'm gonna die. 
No, we're not talking. We're not talking. We're not talking. We're not talking about that. <laughs> he said, "Be wise in, in in this." But I'm talking about that we have an open door, an opportunity to talk about one of the most feared, most devastating priorities in this life, and that is to get people to get ready for when death does knock on their door to welcome it because it's, they're walking into the arms of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yes, that's what it says. It says, but the faith that really holds on to Christ as treasure and hope is the faith that makes us long for Christ to return. And that is the faith that makes us eager. Church, wake up. It's eagerness time. Do you want to know what time it is? It's eagerness time. Eagerness. Eagerness is that feeling of anticipation of something you want so bad you can't wait. Oh, y'all don't understand what I'm saying. You ever send somebody out to cop for you? <sighs> and you can't wait till they... And now they taking too long and you know you beat... And now that just makes, do you remember? I know we're far removed from, from, from this fleshy thing, but, but, but okay, okay, let me do it like this. You ever smell some good food cooking and you're hungry? And you keep going back to the pot, see, is it ready? Is it, you, oh, because I, I, I'm, I'm eating the smell of this thing, right? It, I, is, it, is it soup yet? Eager. Do you remember when you couldn't wait to see her? The, what time we meet? Oh my! It's only every minute seems like an hour. Every minute seems like an hour. I just can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to be with the one I love. I can't wait because there's no better place to be. I have. Uh, she totally fulfills everything. He totally fulfills everything. I can't wait till his next phone call. I can't wait. Is the bus coming? Oh God! Is the, are they pulling up? Do I look in the mirror? Am I? Is he coming? Is he coming? Is he coming? Where is that church for Jesus Christ? Uh, are we watching? Oh, wait, is he coming today? Is it today? Maybe it's today. Maybe, Pastor, maybe he's coming today. Maybe he'll be here before the service is over. Maybe we can jump one time and he'll be caught up and just never and keep on going. <laughs> eagerness. It's eagerness time. It's eagerness time because when we have this kind of faith in God, this kind of look for the eager expectation, then we will wake up. We will wake up eager to love your enemy. You will wake up eager to bless those who curse you. We will wake up eager to go the extra mile. You will wake up eager to support the missionaries on their mission. Be eager to fellowship with the brethren. You'll wake up eager to work while it's day, for night cometh when there's no man can work. You'll be eager to suffer, eager to show mercy, eager to fast, and eager to pray and eager for his word for you know he's coming back and he is eager to get with us he's been eagerly preparing a place and now this I say brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God neither doth corruption inherit incorruption behold I show you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. 
For this corruptible must put on incorruptible, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hallelujah. It's eagerness time. It's time for us to wake up and start looking unto the hills from whence cometh our help. Hallelujah. I wonder if I got any sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, fire and water baptized saints in the house that are eager, too eager to wait. Heaven's taking too long. I'm waiting. Hallelujah. Come on and sing this thing with me.